0: Well, today is a very special day uh, for Newman Centers throughout the country. Um, You may know most uh, non-Catholic universities have a Catholic campus ministry um, usually called a Newman Center, named after Cardinal John Henry Newman, uh, an Anglican priest who became Catholic uh, in the 19th century, a very important intellectual figure, um, one of the great English writers, uh, English prose writers, uh, and a famous convert to the Catholic faith. He uh, wrote a book called "The Idea of the University." He was big into uh, university education, particularly Catholic university uh, education. He was a scholar at Oxford, and after becoming Catholic, uh, was basically ostracized from all his circles. He had been a very prominent writer and cultural commentator, a theologian, um, had friends in very high places, and they all, almost to a person, rejected him because. To be Catholic in 19th century England was basically to be a nobody. Uh, Anybody who is anybody, especially in the life of the Church, especially a priest would be in the Church of England, run by the Queen or the King of England. Um, To be a Catholic, a Roman Catholic, was to be a papist, a sort of uh, idolater and uh, someone who followed the wrong faith. And his convictions, his uh, desire for the truth, and his uh, basically what would you call it, integrity, led him to make this choice to become Catholic because he saw in the Catholic Church the fullness of the truth, the fullness of Christ's revelation uh, and the church that Christ founded. So it cost him everything. Um, He wrote a famous hymn called Lead Kindly Light. It was actually on a trip, I believe, to Rome, one of the first trips he ever made to Rome, on a ship, he wrote this hymn, Lead Kindly Light. And it's all about going through the dark night, following nothing but the light of truth, the light of Christ, um, knowing that the morning's coming, knowing that the light is leading to ever greater light. Um, so, a man of great faith. Why it's important today is because John Henry Newman became a saint today. Pope Francis, today, at a canonization mass in Rome, three in the morning, um, named uh, St. John Henry Newman a saint. Uh, to become a saint, you need two verified miracles. Uh, so to become a blessed, actually, before you, you that's called the beatification, when you're a blessed, like blessed John Henry Newman, um, you have one verified miracle, but you need a second to get canonized a saint. And his second miracle just so happened to uh, have happened here in, Ch- in the Chicago area uh, to a woman named Maria Villalobos, who was, uh, had a, a crisis, uh, medical crisis in her pregnancy that was causing her to hemorrhage and... Um, She was healed miraculously after calling on Cardinal Newman's intercession. She said Cardinal Newman stopped the bleeding. And miraculously like that, she was four months pregnant and uh, she was very close to losing her baby. Um, Everything stopped. She was miraculously healed. She smelled roses in her bathroom where she was when she made this prayer that went away and then five months later she had a perfectly healthy baby. Um, That woman is coming to speak here at our Newman Center to tell her story on November 18th. Um, she's in Rome, obviously right now for the canonization. She obviously has a special love for Cardinal Newman. Um, can't imagine it's, it's enough to know about saints ourselves, but what if you knew that a saint knew you <laughs> actually was like very interested in your life and had pleaded to God for a miraculous healing. So I encourage you to come to that event. Uh, it's a big deal for Newman centers to have our patron be a saint. It's basically recognizing by the church, uh, that this person is in heaven And their intercession has power because they are beholding God face-to-face in the beatific vision. They can ask for special favors for the body of Christ on earth, the the church. Speaking of healings, our gospel today and our first reading ought to do with healing, specifically from a disease called leprosy, that in the ancient world there were various skin disorders, but they were all kind of under the umbrella of leprosy. And why they were such a big deal was because they were contagious, A and B, because there was no cure. So people were very freaked out if they saw that you had leprosy. If you had some kind of sore on your skin, it could be debilitating, you know, paralyze that limb, and people would die very slowly of this horrific uh, disorder that manifested as a, as a skin disease. So people were very put off by those sorts of things. And so if you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were basically outcast. Even to modern times, there were leper colonies where people would just go because there was no cure. You, could, you had to be quarantined. And in Jesus' time, those people would have known they, they were not allowed in, in the city, They were much less in the city center, much less in the temple, where people went to worship and offer sacrifice to God. So they would yell, if they saw someone healthy, they would yell, unclean, unclean, to warn them that they were getting near some sick people. They didn't want to be near. And 10 of these uh, poor souls call out to Jesus, and they see in him the possibility of healing. They know maybe that he's a miracle worker, that he's rumored to be the Messiah. And they say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus tells them, go to the priests. Show yourselves to the priests. Why does he say that? Because the priests were kind of the gatekeepers to the temple. They would decide whether or not you were welcome back into the worshiping community. And leprosy, obviously, like I said, excludes you from that for medical reasons. So the priest actually was the one who would decide if your sores are gone or if God has healed you or if for some reason your body has healed itself, that you would be welcomed back. And there's all sorts of things in Leviticus and Exodus directing priests as to exactly how to evaluate a sore uh, because leprosy was such a, a, a fearful thing. Well, on their way to do that, they're cleansed. They're healed, just like that. Just like Naaman in the first reading, all he's told to do by Elisha the prophet is go bathe in the Jordan River. And he does it and miraculously he's healed after having this disease that he was afraid would kill him and certainly end his career as a general of the army and all that. Sometimes the healing miracle is like that, like for Maria or for these 10 leopards. Um, I said lepers, not leopards, it's a hard one to distinguish. Uh, I was thinking about this with uh, a friend of mine who told me a story. He went to Colombia to uh, do a mission trip a few years ago, and he was with some nuns who, whose ministry is basically in the streets of uh, one of the big cities in Colombia where there's a lot of poverty, a lot of homelessness, and a lot of drug addiction. And these nuns basically just go out to the people living on the streets and offer them kindness, a piece of bread, a warm drink, a place to come and pray or to eat or to get out of the weather or whatever. And uh, he met one of the men there who helped the sisters. And he explained that he used to be in the streets. And that for 16 years, he was addicted to drugs. And he was stuck in a cycle of addiction, day in and day out. The same exact thing would happen to him. That he would basically go through a fog during the day, uh, basically living for the night. And then the sun would set and he would get this feeling in his body and in his heart and his brain to just get the next fix. His whole life was consumed with that and he would, became a creature of the night. He lived for the night and he also was basically resigned to death. He's, he he never thought he'd be free of this. He was totally consumed by his appetite for this drug to which he was addicted. And for 16 years, it was the same exact thing every single day. And, uh, he would lose track of not just what day or month it was, but what year it was. Sometimes he would ask people, like, what year is it? Because it was just the same, it was just this sequence of identical days. Until one day, uh, his girlfriend, he had a girlfriend, got pregnant, and he was going to be a father. And something in him stirred that said he wanted not to die anymore. He wanted uh, to be a better man so that he could be a father. It was no longer, because he'd given up on himself, but this other person that he would be responsible for, who he wanted to be responsible for, he could live for him. But he still was stuck in this cycle. And one of these sisters came up to him on the street and offered him a piece of bread, a warm drink, and a prayer. And something in him clicked. And for 14 years, he has never taken drugs again. And he just, it was not easy, but it was simple. He just stopped doing it. He he, he chose freedom. Uh, and these sisters and a community around them helped him. And now he does the same for others. He helps these sisters. He's even founded uh, a a home for elderly, uh, impoverished people in the town that don't have anyone to care for them. He's sort of repaying the favor. And this is his way of giving thanks to God for delivering him mysteriously, just like that, of this thing that had plagued him for so many years. Sometimes God's healing is like that. A deliverance just comes, unexpected. There's a desire. We have to cooperate with it somehow. Jesus' mysterious phrase, your faith has saved you. Somehow we have to believe that it's possible. But God does this work in us. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves cleansed and free. But what happens to those ten lepers? Only one of them comes back to give thanks. And Jesus is disappointed by this. Because why? Because the whole point of that healing was to come back. Why show yourself to the priest? Because you want to get back into the temple and give thanks to the God who's healed you. But that's what's really at stake. Is Our bodies, yes, they can be healed and medicine is good and, and good health of your body is good. But your body's wasting away. What's really, what Jesus has really come to do is to give you eternal life, which in the end will be a bodily resurrected life. But for now, the thing that needs the most healing is the inner man, the inner self the soul. Because sometimes you beg for healing and it doesn't come, right? Sometimes you want some healing, some freedom for yourself or for someone else. And it doesn't happen the way that you expect it to happen. I had the privilege for the last year and a half of walking with a young woman, 24 years old, who was diagnosed with bone cancer at 23. Unexpected. She just had some back pain at work one day. She goes to the hospital. They do a scan cancer. Her whole life changed. She had to have a surgery. Eventually, it, got, it was really far along and very aggressive, and she had to have a surgery, and she had never been confirmed, so her family called. She really didn't have much religious education at all. Her family called me. It was at my old parish. and uh, No, actually, I was here, but the, I I known the family from the old parish, and she was at Rush, and they said, will you go confirm her? Give her confirmation, because there's a good chance she won't make it through this surgery. So I asked the bishop for permission. He gave me delegation. I went and uh, I explained what confirmation was. I gave her the sacrament of confirmation, sealed with the Holy Spirit. She made it through the surgery. She did radiation and chemotherapy and got better, actually, for a little while. And during the winter, she was more or less healthy. She could walk again. And then summer came, and she fell ill. And basically, from July on, um, never got out of bed. And she just got worse and worse, and she still retained hope and I did too. We, we were all praying for her to get better. But it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I'd go to, uh, to bring her communion uh, on a regular basis. She was at the hospital first and then at a nursing home. And then finally, uh, about a month ago, she was on hospice and went back down to her home. I was still visiting her and bringing her communion and praying with her. And just this past Friday, her uh, family called me and said, it doesn't look like there's much time left. Will you come... Uh, come see her, and she would asked for the priest to come, asked for me to come, and I brought communion. I brought Jesus. I came, brought a host from the tabernacle and uh, drove down to her house, and she was obviously dying. It was, it was her last hours, days, and I wasn't sure if she could receive communion, but uh, I asked her, and she had woken up a little bit, and she, I said, I brought Jesus. Do you want to receive communion? And she looked at me, and she said, yes. And um, I asked her mother if, I, if she thought it was a good idea, and I just broke off a tiny little piece of the host, and she opened her mouth, and I gave it to her. She asked for water. She didn't have much saliva. She could barely uh, talk or cough, much less swallow. She took a little bit of water herself. And um, I, didn't, I didn't know if she knew what was happening, but after a couple minutes, she actually made the sign of the cross with as much arm strength as she had. She signed herself. And everybody kind of gasped, like, whoa, she, she realizes what's happening. And I said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. And we all said for her, because she wasn't able really to speak, um, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. And I think I saw that. I mean, I'd seen it through this, this whole sickness, this whole illness in her, as you might have seen in, in a loved one who's had a a long extended illness, that there's a certain purification that happens, that while the body's wasting away, you see the beauty of the soul more evidently and the healing that God is doing inside, even as you wish there was some other kind of healing, a deeper inner healing is happening. Six hours later, I got a phone call. She passed away and, in my opinion, gone to heaven. She was ready. She had all her sacraments. She had just received her viaticum, her last communion, had the inner strength, that inner healing and she knew herself to be loved by God. So That's the point of healing. That's what God is in the world to do. Why Jesus came into the world. Why he manifests sometimes in extraordinary ways for people who are physically sick or disabled, blind, or deaf. He does something to show us that he has power. But what he's really about is the inner healing so that we can come to him in freedom again. That the whole project of redemption, of bringing Adam and Eve back into paradise, back into perfect friendship and communion with him, that the outer self has to die. Sometimes part of the healing is letting things die, letting things get sick and decay so that there can be a newness, a new life, and we can come back to him and give him thanks and praise for his healing.